name is Glo, and welcome to Football Sides. I'm joined today by my co-host Dan. Dan, how are you doing today? Doing very well, thanks. I'm excited for this podcast episode. Uh, how have you been since we last chatted? How's quarantine up in Canada? Yeah, thanks for asking. It's uh, I'm sure much like yourselves. There's lots of speculation about opening things back up again, and uh, certainly the weather is nice, so a lot of people are are excited for that. You know, social distancing to slowly be opened up again. But we'll see. We'll see where we go. How about yeah. yourself? Yeah, I'm doing quite well, you know, just uh, alternating. I've started asking uh, people how they're doing based on the stages of grief. Grief. So today, I'm at acceptance, I think, but it really changes. The other day, I was greatly at anger and I was bargaining also. So (laughs) it's a pretty fluid scale, I should say. No, that's so true. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Dan is back today uh, on our poll, oh no, third poll actually, I should say, and uh, we do want to give a brief, a brief, huge, huge thank you to Taylor and Ned who were here for uh, pod number two doing some football hard takes. If you've not had a chance to listen to that, greatly would greatly recommend. It's uh, it's been great fun debating all the things that will never be implemented in the football world from us. It's been totally. lovely. That was great. I enjoyed listening to it and uh, definitely gave me lots to think about, lots to, to talk about with my friends too. I mean, what we're really saying is FIFA should absolutely hire us because we got it. <laughs> Basically. We, oh, yeah. We're, we're setting the stage here for sure. Yeah. So I think before we get started on our topic today, which is Sunderland Till I Die Deep Review, we want to add some brief updates in the in the football world. And the first one to note is uh, the Bundesliga is coming back. Guys, sports, sports, sports. <laughs> so yes, really. indeed. Yeah. I'm so excited. Um, it's coming back. I believe first match is the 16th of April, and they are resuming uh, with the match day where they were at, which was I believe match day 27, and uh, it's Dortmund and Schalke. Uh, the one of the fast games so that's going to be plenty exciting are you looking forward to that Dan for sure I mean we're all pretty starved for football of course more than that I just hope they get it right with regard to the the health and well-being of everyone involved um, I think they're going to really set the precedent here and and potentially be a model for how other countries and leagues can reopen so I'm keen to see how they're going to do it I, I do think I, I do have confidence in Germany they tend to be a very well organized group of folks so I'm sure I'm sure they have a uh, all angles considered here this is truly the one time when living up to your stereotype has been be a honest. wonderful thing. Let's be honest. <laughs> and just for like, sure. please, please do live up to your stereotype. <laughs> Indeed. No, and, and and it is also, uh, you know, not to discredit, obviously, the, you know, we, as we talked about in podcast one, uh, not to discredit the Belgian league or the Eredivisie or some of these other leagues, but, you know, Bundesliga, it's, it's a huge league. So it's one of the top leagues in the world. And I think everyone's keen to see how they're going to do it. Yeah, I'm uh, personally very thrilled. Obviously, again, I think we all know that it goes without saying that safety is paramount. But if it has been deemed safe by the local governments, you have to trust that. And I'm very, very thrilled to feel like all the hours <laughs> that I've had the, over the weekends. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also some unique initiatives that I know Dan is particularly partial to or has been more well in tuned with. Yeah. Uh, where are we on that, Dan? Where so 
Uh, yeah, thanks, Glow. I just I'm I'm so impressed with some of the different ways clubs and social media forums and whatnot have, have taken these opportunities to still engage their their communities. So big shout out to Siri B Club Pescara. They put on a little coloring contest for their fans, and they encourage you know kids uh, of the club, fans of the club, to to do a little little coloring contest and decorate a jersey. And they had such a, a large response from the community at large that they ended up making a competition. And I think they, they even voted on one of these kids' uh, jersey designs. And if you haven't seen it, check this out. Just Google Pescara jersey or Pescara kids jersey. And there's a beautiful design by some child who they're actually, de- they've decided glow to use it as their alternate kit for next season. That is so exciting. Isn't that neat? Yeah, and I think we'll put put it on our Instagram story as well and we Twitter for all of you to have easy access to. But Indeed. that is so exciting. It's so and cool. Yeah, having seen the menu that kit, uh, it's like maybe we should just commission ten year olds. Right? <laughs> oh my gosh, I completely uh, agree. And it's like some of these third kit. I'm just oh like, I don't know. Let's just have the let's give the children a stab at this. Because it is, yeah, and it it is truly me. it's stunning. So we'll put it up there. Uh, I mean, Pescar have a great uh branding and already with their dolphin and all that so yeah it's gonna be neat to see them i I love to see a match with them actually you know setting their side out with with this kid on yeah that will be so exciting that is something this kid will remember forever and it's uh, just makes the community it makes everyone warm and fuzzy i should say at least most people yeah speaking of leagues beginning glow we do need to shout out to the koreans i mean they were only a few months ago one of the epicenters of this virus and they have done a phenomenal job as a country curbing this, this uh, you know, the growth of the virus and whatnot. And they just started their league. So the K-League has begun as of this week. They've all played one match. And I thought it was fitting, you know, given that there's not many leagues around the world going, that we all we both pick a team and, and follow them for the rest of their season. Uh, full disclosure, I was so behind on this assignment that I did <laughs> not pick a team. So I feel like... The way like I came into my fandom where it was just like assigned to me essentially, I think you should uh, pick our teams. Okay, I do reserve the right to absolutely dump this team if you give me like the lowest performing team. No worries. How about how about I see? I'll offer you a, a a suggestion for both our teams, and then see what you think. Okay. Okay. Let's see. So I I was looking for obviously a connection to the legend himself, Mr. Park. You know, Man United legend. I mean, how many... He played for you guys for, what, five years or something? Five seasons? Yeah, about, I would say. Yeah, he was obviously an excellent... So I I was trying to find where he started his career, and uh, it was a little bit tricky, but I did find a connection to probably my favorite ever Vancouver Whitecap that that played for us, a fullback, Young Pio Lee. And so YP Lee played for uh, FC Seoul, uh, they were called at the time the Anyang LG Cheetahs, but he played uh, in 2002 for the, the you know for the Korean side, of course, with Park, and they they finished third at the World Cup, as we all know. Uh, or no, sorry, did they finish fourth? I think they finished fourth. They lost to Turkey in the end, but they had a phenomenal World Cup. Gus Hiddink was their coach, and he took both Park and uh, YP Lee to play in the Eredivisie with uh, PSV Eindhoven. So I thought it was fitting 
to kind of make that connection with uh, Man United, with Park, with the Whitecaps, with YP Lee and whatnot. So I think FC Seoul should be one of our teams. Um, I do want the uh, listeners to know that FC Seoul, as it stands, seems to be at the bottom of the table. They are. <laughs> Eighth place, zero, zero points. points. Zero points, negative two goal differential. So thanks, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> it's only one game played, though. So the other team that I was thinking of is um, Doniel Henry, the West Ham and Blackburn Rovers legend. Uh, he only played like a few cl- uh, matches for those guys. But anyway, he played for the Whitecaps the last two years. And he's actually playing now. He's the only Canadian playing in the K-League for Suwon Blue Wings. So... They're a little bit uh, worse off than FC Seoul. They're in ninth place with a minus one differential here. So uh, they haven't even scored a goal. But nonetheless, they are the other team I'm going to go for because of uh, Joniel Henry. All right. I suppose I'll take FC Seoul. We can be at the bottom. We can be battling relegation together, yeah. which Something as, I'm a Sunderland, as a Sunderland <laughs> fan, should be familiar territory. It is, unfortunately. I know I know you Man United fans get a little bit nervous when you're in, like, what, sixth place or so, but... You yeah. know, yeah, I mean, fair enough. Yeah, as, um, yeah, so... So Dan, as I just mentioned, Dan is a Sandalon fan, and uh, that is predominantly I started, as all of you have consumed truly more media than I ever thought possible during this time, and one of those has been a Sandalon until I die, and Dan and I thought him being a Sandalon fan, me being new to the club, really yeah. thought we would do a review of the series, and by series I mean we've uh, consumed season one and two, and we'll be talking about it broadly today, a deep dive into what the series has accomplished, what that's made fans look at the club, and me as truly a neutral, how I've how I've received the series. Exactly. Well, I mean, with that said, uh, you know, as a neutral, but you're still a Man U fan. So a few Man U supporters have joked with me over the years and said, oh, you cheer for Man U's B team. I mean, we <laughs> tend to get your cast offs, don't we? Darren Gibson, you know, John O'Shea, Wes Brown, uh, Luis Saha. He played for you guys. Now he played for us for one year. So we do have a connection, you and I, don't we? Yeah, you know, yeah, it's fine. We like to help you guys out. That <laughs> oh doesn't sound nice. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we might need a little help ourselves right now, but you know. <laughs> I know, we'll give you back Donald Love. How about that? Uh, no. <laughs> 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 but thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, so Dad, how long have you been a Sunderland supporter? Yeah, so I came across this team for the very first time in 2005. It's quite random, really, how I ended up a supporter. But, you know, growing up in Canada, I'm sure many people can relate to this. Soccer was hard to come by. Football was hard to come by in terms of media. Um, I really only watched just my local clubs, you know, the clubs that played around me, you know, the older kids at the park playing. So I didn't watch growing up at all. And in 2005... Sunderland got promoted to the English Premier League and they did a Canada tour as their preseason, you know, warm up. And it was this big deal. They came to my hometown of Victoria. So it was all over the place. You know, the Premier League is coming to town. I had never heard of this club, but they came and I was always one of those guys growing up who just didn't want to, I wasn't really a glory hunter. I didn't just choose, you know, Real Madrid or Barca because that's who was good at the time. For me, I, I, I didn't really know who to support. So for me, this was my club. They came to my town. I got to watch them. And shout out to a player by the name of John Stead. I know all you English fans out there. You'll probably know who this is. Do you, do you know this guy, Glow? John Stead? 
I'm sorry. I'm not as familiar. Don't worry. So we broke some big transfer record back then. And we signed this guy for, I don't know, 1.5 million British pounds. He was our big star striker. And he played uh, 45 minutes. And you know what? Just watching his technical skill, even at that time. And again, you got to think of my context. I didn't grow up watching it live. I played it. I wasn't really immersed in the culture of football. But watching him, he was he was obviously a, a, a cut above in terms of his technique and just something as simple as, you know, taking a long ball off the chest down to his on-rushing midfielder through on goal, you know, something as simple as that. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. This is what the caliber can be in, in the sport I fell in love with. So 2005, that's where it all began with me. And it's been a, it's been a roller coaster ever since. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it definitely sounds like it. So you've been a fan for about fifteen years, right? About yeah? that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is that is definitely a long time. I would say I am, uh, yeah, about a little bit longer than that as a menu fan. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, but this is because again, as I like to tell people, had no choice. My uncle was a huge menu fan, and there you go. I just yeah. like one of my baby pictures is truly me in a one menu onesie. I'm just like, well, I guess I just have to go with this now <laughs> that's hilarious most of my friends all they always joke with me and say oh, yeah, i'm just this this hipster at heart you know right from the beginning i had to always pick the underdog pick some team that wasn't as in vogue but uh perhaps that's the case uh but as we all have seen through the series like there is something captivating about this club even as an international fan you know watching all their promotion and re- sorry all their relegation escapes and whatnot it, it's it, there is something captivating despite the mess that we often find ourselves in yeah i mean they were in vogue at some point they have like six top flight titles to their name so Sunderland were yeah. <laughs> they were in uh what we've seen back in the 30s in the yeah back in 1930 that's pretty good yeah. they still count you know <laughs> they still mm-hmm. count like i just feel like real madrid still counts their first like european cup even though it was like way back in the 50s, it's true it's true yeah i'll take it we'll take it for sure yeah, and then most recently, I know you guys won an FA Cup. I mean, I want to say 1973. Very good. Yeah, 1973 was our last FA Cup win. And uh, for those who obviously watched the series, you'll see that we attended Wembley for a different trophy. But nonetheless, uh, we've been to Wembley a few times, but we don't have a lot of success there. It's been a Do you feel been like a that's a like uh, one of those places that is that it re- really trips up a club? That it's just like- it is, yeah. I don't know what it is. Uh, I mean, obviously, the English fans out there could speak to this better. But, uh, you know, since being a fan myself, okay, so, like, I witnessed, you know, Fabio Barini scoring the first half against Man City. We were up 1-0. This is, I think, 20, I think now, 2014. We were in the, not the FA Cup, um, the... Oh, I can't, the name escapes. Yeah, uh, I can't recall. But uh, we were we were up one nil, and we ended up losing. You know, Yaya Touré had this long bomb from like thirty five yards out to win the match. You know, and it's just heartbreaking. But for whatever reason, and again, uh, Sunderland until I die. The series shows that we just we struggle at Wembley. Yeah, 
And for sure, like, I think I got that sense throughout the series and like all the uh, fans who are being interviewed is like, oh, we're going to Wembley. And me, like having truly minimal knowledge about Sunderland, I was like, oh, yeah, you're going to Wembley. And everybody seemed to be like, oh, dreading it a little bit. So I think that's when I got clued in that there was indeed a history because mm-hmm. I went into this with like a blank check, just like minimal knowledge, tried to do absolutely no research and like enjoy the series as it oh, went. Oh, that's a good, it was no, quite that's a good idea, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, how did this series get made? We don't really, I mean, there's some, there's a Man City documentary. There's like the Leeds documentary that's going to come out in the future, perhaps. We don't know. <laughs> but uh, football documentaries, at least across of the series, are not very common. How did we arrive here, at least for Leeds? For sure. Yeah, it's a good for question. Sandalone, so, I should say. <laughs> yeah. So obviously I'm, I'm, I'm across the pond here in Canada, but from what I've been reading and certainly when it was being advertised as coming out uh the company that that uh, put the series together fullwell 73 uh two of their founders from what i understand are big uh safc supporters now they're a huge company like they've been doing several different media series you know documentaries uh many of you might know james corden they do the late night show with uh with james corden so like this is a, a well-established media company that's putting out series. So I'm sure they're always looking for opportunities. And for what I understand, they approached uh, Sunderland in the past to put out content, but they saw an opportunity, right? So they, here's this massive club. They've been in the Premier League for 10 years or so, and they get relegated to the championship. You know, here's an opportunity to, to film a club and, and really highlight uh, what it's like to be relegated and, and to see a, a push for promotion again. And as we know, they get relegated a second time. So, I'm sure as a, if you're in if you're in media and you're producing shows like this, I mean this probably was was they're licking their chops, you know. This was good TV for them. Uh, I imagine that was the case. But if they are fans, it was probably heartbreaking as well. I'm sure, yeah. One of the things that truly struck me, like that was captivating from the show initially, it was the music. Uh I do have this habit. The best thing I maintain that Netflix has added to their platform is skip intro. <laughs> it's like yes. by far the best feature. But this one, I actually never skipped the intro one time because I was like, oh, I do like this music. It's like, I want to know what it's all about. And again, from what I do know about the Northeast uh, where Sunderland is based, it seemed like to capture the spirit of the ta- the area. Would you say like, that's about accurate. It is. You know? Yeah. So um, f- from friends of mine, obviously, who are from England, from talking to supporters, both online and in person, they're, they're certainly, they have a proud shipbuilding heritage. And the artist, Martin Longstaff, who uh, his, his musician name is the Lake Poets. It's a local artist at Sunderland there. And and it's a really a, a hearkening and attributing a tribute back to the, the shipbuilding heritage and also to his, his late grandfather, who may have worked in that industry. I'm not exactly sure, but... That's that's the, the the symbolism behind that song. Excellent. Yeah. And the other thing that I also really noticed, uh, in, I mean, the song was beautiful. I've now added it to my playlist. Oh, that's <laughs> so, awesome. So that was delightful. But I also noticed, I think maybe for the first time, a female mascot, Delilah, who's the Sunderland mascot. Am I correct? I mean, if there is one, I probably it's probably gone over my head. Have you noticed any other female mascots, or at least female named mascots? I would say. I, I, you know, I thought this was really interesting. I didn't actually know the names of those two mascots. So they're Samson and Delilah, the two black cats at Sunderland. 
Is that that's a story from the Bible, right? It is a, I guess so. Yeah, it's the reference to Samson and Delilah in the story, in, in the biblical story. But I, I couldn't figure out, and I need to ask some locals. And you know what? If you're listening and you're from, you know, Sunderland or you're, you're an SAFC fan, you know the answer to this. Please send us a message on Instagram. You know, send us a tweet. Let us know what's the significance of Samson and Delilah. Uh, obviously, that so the Black Cats nickname, those those two mascots are Black Cats, comes from their their previous. Uh, ground that they played at called Roker, Roker Park, and from what I understand, back in in the days of old, like in the 30s, there was there was this black cat that was always seen around the ground and uh, had made its home there at the stadium. So for years, they've been known as the Black Cats, and uh, that's kind of where that name comes from. That's where those two mascots come from. Oh, that's uh, that's really exciting. I would really yeah. love to know if you have knowledge of the Samson and Delilah story. From my knowledge of the story uh, in the Bible is Delilah cuts off Samson's hair to take away mm-hmm. his power, right? He's a strong guy, <laughs> and it's all it's all based on his hair, exactly. So I'm wondering, yeah, what's See the significance? See, guys, this is why you should invest in deep conditioners. <laughs> all the power oh is in gosh. the hair. <laughs> now I realize, oh, you know what? Man, it's funny, because probably the guy who had the best hair in a Sunderland kit in recent years is maybe someone like, I don't know, Gibral Cisse or something. Or yeah. maybe, uh, oh, was there, uh, we had a player from, uh, from France. I can't remember his name now. He had long flowing hair. I'll have to look up his name, but uh, maybe there, maybe we need more long-haired players on our team, hey? Yeah, I think that's... I mean, it's not really working for Arsenal, but <laughs> so maybe the luscious locks are not all they're cut out to be. <laughs> who was that... Who, who was uh, the center back who played alongside PK all those years at Barca with those long, curly locks? Puyol, right? Yeah. Was it... No, was it... What's his name there? We'll have to come back to yeah. it, because like. Oh, should, I mean, we should get him out of retirement. Exactly. I'm just like, you need to come back. He needs you. Your man needs you. Oh, man. Our strength is in our, our locks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we really absolutely enjoyed watching this show and we had our own reactions to it. And I think the other thing we really wanted to do was I Dan is obviously a Sunderland fan, but I am more neutral. So we did want to get engagement from the community for for whom I guess the bulk of this was made for, which is the Sunland fan community. So Dan was just amazing at putting together a survey and we had, I can't, I just, I can't even say just an overwhelming response from the community responding to the survey about how they found the, about how they found the series and all sorts of feedback that was really lovely that I am eternally grateful for because I could not have imagined that we would get that level of engagement. So I think that's, first of all, we're absolutely delighted to have all your feedback and please keep it coming. But it was also a great, great insight into what the community has thought of the fan so far. Uh, Dan, as someone who worked really hard on this survey, how did you find it? How did you find the responsiveness? I just, I I couldn't agree more, Glow. I'm really want to thank all of the people who took the time out of their day to chime in. Uh, we had, let's see here, 184 total responses. And that goes with both neutral fans uh, who aren't supporters, maybe fans who, who of the club after the Netflix series was released. But we also had uh, like 132 responses from fans who were, who were supporters of Sunderland for 20 years or more. And then we had another, you know, for example... 13% or so uh, people who were fans of five years or more. So we had 
quite a, a large contingent of, of supporters from Sunderland themselves or, or fans around the world of Sunderland for years and years who chimed in. So that was great to kind of compare and contrast both how it was received from a neutral standpoint, like yourself, Glow, and then others who are actually in in the this club and supporting this club day in, day out. Yeah, it was absolutely, again, an overwhelming amount of responses for what I imagined, like 20 people to like chime in with their opinion. And we had to close the survey, of course, before we recorded. But like each day, like up until recording time, we were still getting responses, which was very heartwarming. And cool. it seemed yeah. like the bulk yeah. of... Th- the fans also seem to recommend the series as well, which I was pleased by, mm-hmm. I, especially given that the, as fans, they know what happens and how their club or like is going truly going through the ringer. You know, you know how I felt this last week was every, like you said, every day we wake up a new email. Oh, you have 30 more responses, you know, 20 more responses and more people were following us on uh, Twitter and Instagram and whatnot and asking where to subscribe. And I, I started feeling like Claudio Ranieri, you know, remember back when Lester was winning the title and he's like, my sons, you know, my sons, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was like, oh my goodness, all these support coming in. He was like, I, I felt like Claudio himself for, for a little bit, just this affection for these unnamed people out there supporting us. It was great. Hopefully we can also bring a trophy home. You know, yeah, like exactly. <laughs> Ness and Dama at the, uh, at the final podcast outro there, whatever that he had. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so how did you find the fans describe the show? Yeah. So I was actually kind of surprised that uh, a lot of people, 98 responses put informative, uh, which which does make sense. I'm thinking more from like a neutral standpoint because I thought maybe a lot of the supporters would already have known all the details. But I think it was clarified by some of the later questions that a lot of the supporters felt that it shed light on what they already knew and it confirmed from them. So it was informative in that sense. Uh, 88 responses said that it was authentic. Uh, that it was a real depiction of, of the inner workings of a club and they didn't hide some of the struggles that go on there. 84, uh, close behind that, said it was unique. And 68 uh, responses said it was it was high quality. But only, only 27% of the respondents, so only 49 people said it was accurate, which I did think was interesting. And I think a lot of the SAFC supporters themselves who responded uh, felt that Season two in particular was a little bit inaccurate. There were some things that um, that they felt were not really depicting the season accurately. Uh, and just little things like, for example, season one, I, my understanding is that there was, uh, they would show a match glow, but then they would have like supporters from, uh, uh, highlights of supporters from a whole different match entirely, but they would splice oh. it together. So things like that. And fair enough. Like fearful, creative editing. That's right. So creative editing, I mean, you can't blame them in some ways, but at the same time, if for sure, if you're lived, if you lived and breathed that season, you're pretty eager for the show to come out. You would spot that stuff right away, you know? Exactly. Like I think if I mean, if for like my club did a similar show, and I was at like the one of the few matches that I've gotten like the wonderful opportunity to go to, and I was like, mm, didn't look like that. It was actually kind of sunny. <laughs> why? <Yeah. laughs> I was like, why is this a rainy day? <laughs> What's happening here? Totally. And I can imagine like, people feeling being off put by that. For exactly. Sure. So, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later in the pod. But like for example, season two spent a lot of time uh, showing the the two new owners, Stuart Donald and uh, Martin or uh, Mr. Meth in there. So 
Yeah, I think, I mean, maybe yeah. we could just go into it now. Yeah, sure. since we're here. Like, I did, I do agree that I saw so much more of the owners that were truly, what shall I say, like the lead characters of this series, that, of I'll the second so. series for sure. And I got to know Stuart Donald and uh, his partner very well. But not so much. I think the first season, I got more player interviews. I got more staff interviews, more fan interviews as well. Whereas you could truly see the skew towards um, the top bot, like the top brass really directing. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. So I think that like from a neutral standpoint that, you know, maybe you wouldn't notice these little details, but I think a lot of the SAFC community who like live there, they live and breathe this club. They're following the club and they're listening to the media every week. Um, they feel that, at least right now, like now we're fast forwarding a whole nother season, but uh, as in like a whole nother actual club season, but they feel that these these owners came in for a quick buck. You know, they, they saw an opportunity, they purchased it from, uh, you know, it was a fledging club and they wanted to turn a quick profit. So I think that the series shows them as these fans, you know, this dream of theirs to own a club. And a lot of them, a lot of the community, it seems, doesn't quite agree that with that, that depiction. I couldn't, I absolutely did not get that from the mm-hmm. series because I think in the first series, there was just truly a lot of like outward antagonism towards the owner, Ellis yes. Short, even the coach, uh, Chris yeah. Coleman, I believe. Yeah. Uh, like in the that one, Yeah, that one fan who like, like encounters yeah. him outside the stadium. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But like in this series, we very much got the n- narrative. I mean, which could have been genuine, I suppose. Um, but from the leadership, that was just like a lot more radio interviews. Mm-hmm. And it really did seem, I did believe that uh, Stuart Donan absolutely always, has always wanted to own a club. Mm-hmm. Even when he's talking to his wife, who trying to make the case that he can still love this club and still do all this without yeah. owning it. And his only defense is like, the kids love it. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly, right? He- <laughs> but the kids love it. But it's all worth it. The- I know, right? It's just like tension in the room. I know that was so funny. Um, like, I-, I guess I do need to defer to perhaps the majority. You know, the- these-, these-, these supporters here, they've seen numerous, you know, owners, managers and whatnot come through. Uh, but like, I was pretty engaged last year when they first came in in terms of listening to their weekly podcasts from, you know, Roker Report, Wiseman Say. These are some local media uh, and so, uh, supporter groups that put out a lot of great content. And they're even featured on one of the episodes there uh, where Stuart Donald and uh, and uh, Methvin are there having an interview. And I would say that was my experience too, Glow. I found them to be very candid. I found them to be really open. Um really engaged with the supporters and it was really refreshing. Um, they have since come out and said they were maybe too honest, too open with the supporters because they feel like some of it's backfired. You know, as the the darker days came, the support kind of turned against them. Maybe some other words were used against them, that sort of thing. So so I, I still haven't figured out my take on it as much as I'm sure it's probably a bit of both. You know, I'm sure it's sure they wanted a quick profit, you know, after they, they expected to get promoted, right? They expected to get promoted probably two seasons max so fair yeah. enough i mean it's it's probably is the case that both of this uh both of these statements are true to an extent you know there is yeah. no 
one there's multiple sides to every story and it's probably the case that both the owners could have been decently genuine but also there is the opportunity of a quick buck and they are also businessmen in addition to being footballing fans yeah Yeah. Yeah. what i did quite enjoy that i really wanted to mention really quickly is the head of ticket sales not maybe not the head of ticket sales uh I absolutely blank on her name, so I'm truly sorry. No but worries. she's describing Charlie during the time when they're trying to push to break the record of League One attendance at a match and the ticket sales. And mm-hmm. she's describing Charlie's management. And you yes. can see her trying not to say she does she, not like it at she all. She <laughs> was holding it together. Yeah, exactly. And she's like, Charlie's management is Charlie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was one of the other inaccuracies that I, I heard from supporters. I didn't know this at the time, Glow, but I guess that that was true. Like they were really marketing it and branding it. Hey, let's beat this record. Let's let's uh you know, let's make the the most ever fans uh you know for this this particular, you know, uh the record for most attendance. What they didn't show though or didn't highlight was that other fans were buying tickets for other fans who didn't have the money to go, you know, long-term supporters who didn't have the financial means to 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 buy a ticket. So there was a lot of that uh they felt that it was just the Charlie show. You know, they felt that it was all Charlie, you know, breaking this record and that's kind of how the 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 series depicted it but it was it was really a both right it was initiative perhaps by the club but the supporters yeah. themselves showed up in numbers and and helped each other get there i thought that would have been actually i don't understand even from like a branding perspective yeah. if you're being cynical that would be wonderful cuz it's the whole like you know like the like this is this club is being raised by the village sort of idea mm-hmm. and yeah, well, that that makes me sad. Well, actually, it does make me happy to know that now because yes, <laughs> you're right. I did grow a little bit tired of the Charlie Show. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think a lot of supporters have. Yeah, exactly. Although, again, like I, it was refreshing to me, like hearing owners on these podcasts, you know, answering the questions candidly and and him being quite, uh, you know, quite forthright about the mismanagement prior to them coming in. I mean, you saw there, what was that? What was that machine? That cryo chamber or whatever the heck that thing was called? It's right. the future, Dan. It's the future. We all need a cryo. Have you seen the latest, the season finale of Westworld? Oh we my all need gosh. a cryo chamber. Westworld. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, but yeah, what did he say? Like the only people using it was Martin Bain from time to time. Yeah. He was using it for his back. <laughs> So like, I have that problem, so I feel Bane, you know? I could use oh a cryo chamber. <laughs> sure, and you know what? Maybe I would too if I was working for the club, but it it did go to show, like, he, you know, you kind of needed a bulldog to come in there, look at what was going wrong, clean up some of the books, hey? Like, clearly that was a skill set they needed. And, you know, so, perhaps, again, other supporters I'm sure can answer that question better than I could, but from yeah. way over here, it looked like that was perhaps timely, how he went about it or how he has gone about it. Maybe yeah. that should be drawn into question, but uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I think it was probably necessary. Yeah, for sure. Like, there's obviously need for restructuring and all that, and I think you do need that, like, like bulldog attitude. And perhaps it's the way it was cut, but I think when it did rub me the wrong way, it was it didn't seem empathetic to the like the previous culture that the employees had been in it seemed so much to tell them like this is what's wrong with the club this is what's Mm -hmm. wrong with the club and not so much like i don't know i 
I think if I was in that work environment, just speaking for myself, I wouldn't have been as encouraged to like take ownership of things. And I think mm-hmm. someone in the series mentioned that it was just like, yeah, perhaps like in the previous state, like employees weren't empowered to look at this as something that they should participate in, mm-hmm. that they can drive. Yeah. So I think that's where it rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So as far as some of the other descriptors of the show, you know, we did have that other box. So there's just some some great comments uh, we had. So one Bristol City fan chimed in and said, thank God it wasn't my club airing their dirty laundry on Netflix. But at the end of the day, it was insightful, heartbreaking in the second season in particular, uh, but he said the second season in particular was less objective and more propaganda for the new owners. Um, so anyway, it was just interesting. Some of the different comments from different, uh, from different supporters there, different fans. Yeah, it, it's, that's for sure. And like, speaking of like, how do you think, speaking of like the propaganda and like the image machine, how do you think this has the series, uh, one and two overall have like, uh, affected the club's image and profile yes and uh you know i can only speak to myself like i was always the one Sunderland fan you know every football club i've played for lots of you know tottenham fans man U fans liverpool fans and i was always the Sunderland guy right but all of them were talking about my club so i certainly felt a boost in our international profile and our image um i think that the the fans the heart and soul of the club the fans were showcased really well I think that was very apparent that despite their their, their troubled times, the, the supporters were some of the best. Um, but the, the, the survey results were pretty much down the middle. Uh, about 57, basically it was like a 50, 57% score. So pretty neutral score from both the uh, supporters, long-term supporters, and also just the, the, the neutrals. Both felt that it, it showed the chaos and the mismanagement of Sunderland. But also, you know, the the heart and soul of the club, the, the the supporters. So, I think we have exposed ourselves a bit. A lot of people perhaps laughed at us in the past, but a lot of the supporters feel that even more of our dirty laundry has been aired now. Uh, yeah, it, it it was like a little bit of a peek behind the curtains. But I imagine, like, if any club had the shining light on them they probably wouldn't be spotless either so yeah it could be exactly i mean the the intention was to be a fly on the wall documentary uh is my understanding so you know in season one of course you see some of the challenges with with players like jack rodwell you see some of the challenges with getting guys off their books um players not showing up for training like it was pretty bad it was pretty bad so a lot of a lot of uh management issues that we had to deal with I definitely saw that. And you also noticed that I think as uh, one of the criticisms we noted from fans and probably yourself as well, was that there was less player presence in terms of interviews throughout the show. Mm-hmm. You noticed that? For sure. I, I think you, I'm sure you did too. Like in season one, it was great. There was a lot of uh, individual interviews with, you know, for example, Johnny Williams is pretty candid in season one and season two. Absolutely adore Yeah. Him. Oh, he's great. And uh, it, it hurt me so much to see him come on uh, for, I think, for the other club. Uh, I think it was Charlton. Yeah. Um, he comes on, right, in season two. So against us. But anyway, in season two, it's really only Luke 09 that talks. Uh, we don't get much from the other, other other players. But I think that from what I was reading, I read an article. A lot of the, the players, after watching season one and obviously the failure of getting double pr- – double relegation they didn't want to have their own careers tainted by any 
potential, you know, lack of success. So they didn't want to be attached to that. Uh, so perhaps in season two, less players were willing to to be interviewed. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think that was uh, that's definitely the case. But we did see um, some other like really positive notes. We did see that like eighty thousand like uh, twenty one uh, people fans att- attended the ticket trade final versus Portsmouth, which was like really cool, given mm-hmm. that it was like the highest second attended match in Europe that, that weekend, weekend. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, which is like 50,000 50, fans who travel. That's impressive, yeah. Like, it's amazing to think. I mean, and I think that credit needs to also be given to Portsmouth. I mean, they they, they showed up in numbers too, 40,000 or something like that. But this is essentially a League One match glow. And you got, you know, 80,000 people showing up for this match, beaten out only by a team that happens to have a stadium that's just massive, right? Barcelona Stadium is, what is it, 100,000 people or something? So, you know, it's pretty cool that the only match in all of Europe that weekend uh, was top was Barca in terms of attendance. So yeah, it just further shows, you know, how well supported uh, Sunderland is. They show up in numbers and, uh, and for that note, Portsmouth too. I mean, they, they share a lot in common in that sense about two massive clubs that are further down the table than they probably should be. Yeah. Again, we really want to thank you all who responded to the survey. It was really insightful, like so many more things that we could have come up on our own. And with that, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with some more Sunderland Till I Die chat. Welcome back, everybody. I'm still here with Dan. We're still talking Sunderland until I die. And I think one of the things that struck us both, um, as I mean, it's the key point of the entire series, is the discussion of promotion and relegation and the effect on the of that on the club, not just financially, but on the spirits overall. As a Sunderland supporter, Dan, how did you find this effect, the constant being relegated two years in a, two seasons in a row. Yeah, I mean, it was huge, wasn't it? Uh, again, I think Fullwell 73, the, the makers of the show, probably saw an opportunity for... I would be surprised if they were expecting, you know, Sunderland, this huge club, that they, they were on the biggest wages like ever in the championship or something like that, or one of the biggest, uh, you know, one of the biggest budgets. And they thought maybe they're going to get promoted right away. Instead, we get relocated. Like, it's in, it's insane, you know? Not many clubs have done that. So I think it just really shows how, you know, the, the glory, the the severity, the gravity of promotion relegation and, and just how much it, it's the effects are wide-reaching. Yeah, and it really does bring to bear um, when you think about, like, the clubs right now in the Premier League and all the different divisions mm-hmm. and how the insistence, one of, the, like, the major reasons to insist on, like, finishing the season is not just the financial benefit of just being... It is the financial benefit of being in the Premier League and how many clubs do believe that they will be in dire financial waters if they're unable to finish this season. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was like absolutely uh, remarkable. I think so too. Yeah. That some of those candid interviews in season one with, uh, for example, the chefs, right? And she's like, I don't even know if I have a job tomorrow. Like if we don't win this match, I don't know if I will be here tomorrow. You know, it's it's it just goes to show it, promotion relegation has so much more attached to it in terms of livelihood of, of the people around the club, right? It's very interesting. 
Yeah, and I think it also like reminds people of why like um the discussions around like pay cuts across the board get a bit heated and mm-hmm. definitely it reminds you that there's like more than one livelihood at stake and in a mm-hmm. club like Sunderland in that division that included the shares but it also did include the players who mm-hmm. might not afford to like take a year long um uh, pay cut like Mm -hmm. i don't know say arsenal was suggesting to its players (laughs) yeah exactly and uh, you know even you can fast forward to now right now with this virus and leagues deciding to you know to conclude their season some teams might get relegated and you know there's a lot of teams who are considering even taking legal action if that was the case because as we've seen this is one story right this is one club but relegation has a lot wrapped up in it uh getting relegated out of, for example, you know, the TV money from the, the Premier League down into the championship and even more so into League One. So it, it, there's a lot to it. Definitely a lot to it. How, speaking of, how has the current crisis been affecting Sunderland and the and League One? So we're currently in seventh. Uh, officially, the club is not, you know, not abandoned or anything right now, but there is pretty strong... Uh, talk that it, that it, they will do that. They will abandon the league, or they will decide somehow through some sort of a logarithm to determine who gets promoted and who gets relegated. So, for those who don't know, League One is structured where the top two teams get promoted to the championship. Positions three through six have a playoff, and so we saw that in season two. Right, Sunderland finishes fifth. They win their first match, and then they get they get into the final again at Wembley for the uh, playoff final but they lose ultimately. So what they're not sure about right now is how to conclude the season. Uh, Sunderland are, are essentially tied with Peterborough in sixth. So that is the last playoff spot, but they're mm-hmm. behind on goal difference and they're only yeah. three, three points behind second. So it's really tight. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it's still not good enough. Like this is, this will be the second, if they conclude the season, this will be the worst consecutive finishes ever in club history. You know, and they were founded in in, in in eighteen where's it here eighteen seventy nine. So like that's 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 significant. There'll be no more parachute payments. They're older than most democracies, right? <laughs> yeah. There'll be no more parachute payments from the Premier League and from the Championship for for their relegations. The majority of the first team squad, the contracts are up, and uh, it's just a lot of talk about uh, their current financial troubles. There's like 25 million British pounds unaccounted for, and there's a lot of criticism right now with the owners. So, what do you it mean is- unaccounted for? Like, it's missing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry. Like, I just have. I know, not right? had the pleasure of like dis just like missing twenty five million oh, yeah. pounds no like, big on deal, a Wednesday. Right? I mean, I'm choked if I lose my you know my 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 loony or my toonie. Uh, that's Canadian currency for those who don't know. But uh, yeah, twenty five million. Apparently, there's some contract, some agreement was made when they purchased the club based on some sort of you know twenty five million dollars that now is missing or I don't know. So there's a lot of sounds like there's some clandestine chats going around and trying to hide it or who knows what's going on. So there's, there's a lot of concern amongst the Sunderland faithful and uh, calls for the owners to, to get out. Yeah. That's like, that sounds like a bit of a mess. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) as, as the series shows, despite the mess, the fans will keep turning up. They're so faithful. And again, that's, I think that's what's captivated me. Like I've just been really uh, that loyalty has rubbed off on me as well that despite the mess you know you, you keep showing up you keep supporting them <laughs> i agree i think that's uh for sure uh that was what 
I think the series truly、mm-hmm. did best. I think capturing the emotional aspect and that emotional spectrum that football、mm-hmm. goes through from both like the ownership, the player, and the fan、mm-hmm. perspective was very intriguing to me. And I found it quite fascinating. For instance, I think football, of course, is one of the few industries that it is kind of a business, but not a business. But it's afforded、mm-hmm. more loyalty than any regular business. Like if your bank, like. Just mucked around this much and like、right? with this much of mismanagement. Like I'm going to the next bank, but like football, football itself like does have that luxury of like people will still support you even when you're like performing very poorly. I mean, and sometimes like owners, of course, like try、uh, do take advantage of that because they know like. I just can't imagine not being a menu fan, for instance. Like even when I have like my quarrels with them, I'm not just like let's just go pick the team that does the best. Do you know、mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, all、oh, for sure.、Um, so promotion relegation, we don't really have that here in Canada in the USA.、Um, there is certainly talk. I don't know about you in, in the states there, but there's talk here in Canada that the Canadian Premier League, which started last year, they want to eventually make a promotion relegation out of it. But what do you think? Like, should we have that here in Canada and USA? Absolutely. Most of the most of the world does, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm team promotion relegation. There's like I whole had. I think there's there's a number of reasons, right? I think one of them is it makes it competitive. If you are always going at both to, ends of the table, right? Yeah, it. Oh, it. If you're always going to be in this league and only so little changes,、mm-hmm. like if you drop out of the Premier League, if that、mm-hmm. means a hundred million dollars, you're going to work for it. You're going to、mm-hmm. want to stay in that particular league. And、mm-hmm. for the teams down below, I think it gives them something to work towards.、Mm-hmm. Like if you were, I think、uh, for the United States, the lower league below that would be the USL. USL. So、yeah. like if you're never. If there's no chance of you working really hard to move yourself up to、uh, MLS, then it's I don't know. I think there's a reward aspect that is built in that I think is very valuable to the spirit of the sport, and of course that's very different from a lot of American sport. I would say,、mm-hmm. oh, where in、sure. like I mean, burst basketball, NFL, all closed circuits, but I think they're quite different. I mean, I mean, basketball is having the G League, but like the G League is nowhere as competitive、mm-hmm. as well, the so, NBA. And see, I think how you you put it well. The, the spirit of the game, you said the spirit of the sport. So one of the things that like okay, so the most popular sport in Canada, of course, is hockey. And one thing you see at the end of the season is no one says it, but you start seeing teams almost deliberately losing because the worse they fin they finish, they get a higher draft pick. For the、exactly. following season,、oh、God, which is just、day. so backwards, right? Like, so if we if we actually lose, we will get you know the the future star player of next season. Like, it's just ridiculous. Is the so, Philly Sixers、uh, right? Trust the process, which actually did <laughs> trust work. Trust the process. Oh my you, gosh. You do also Iverson, absolutely、right? one of my favorite sports stories. You、oh、just like I think it was Sam Hinkie and it's like the. Was the director of like the Sixers really、mm-hmm. rigging like consistently making Philly bad so they can get、uh, faster on pigs? So yeah, yeah. I mean the NBA has uh, since uh, nipped that in the bud. <laughs> like obviously, as you know, you and I both are pretty global football fans. So following football around the world in general, most countries have promotion relegation systems. So. Naturally, I'm I'm drawn to that, you know, and of course, as a Sunderland fan, why wouldn't I be? I mean, there's so much drama in our relegation 
you know, we've been saved from relegation so many times. So there's a lot of drama at the end of the season. There are pros and cons. I should say there are pros to the certainty that your team will still be in the league next year despite a terrible year. I mean, the MLS is is very unique in the sense of, you know, you live and die by these three designated players. If you got it wrong this year or they were injured, maybe next year you'll find those diamonds in the rough from, you know, Paraguay or or Argentina or someplace. And you'll get these guys come in and you'll have an amazing year. So there's there's some comfort in that, if you want to call it, or some some knowledge, you know, the knowing that, hey, maybe next year we'll be back at the top. However, I still think promotion relegation, like you said, it keeps it honest. It keeps teams fighting for the top, right? And you can't be complacent in a promotion relegation system, whereas you kind of can in a business model where, hey, we, we were terrible this year, but we're still in it next year. So whatever, we'll just write off this year and try again. Yeah, it definitely, like once the like the top has been decided, like the bottom, there's still something to fight for. I think like even though, you know, somebody's already won the league, there's still some entertainment and something to fight for at the bottom. So like, I think it put, keeps it interesting on both ends. The same mm-hmm. way you, I wouldn't want to have just one completely dominant team all across. I do enjoy that value of like anyone if you absolutely like botch it you are in danger like no one is untouchable mm-hmm. yep. the other thing i did quite enjoy uh was absolutely the emotional roller coaster again brought about by promotion and relegation truly the emotional roller coaster that the series did manage to capture quite well and I think like one of the most telling episodes was like in the first season, I want to say mm-hmm. it's uh, episode six, um, uh, yeah, Johnny Evans, Evans yeah. uh, in therapy and just like mm-hmm. discussing how, I don't know. I think I have always known that obviously this is an emotionally taxing job, but being able to see someone who does that job articulate how being injured and being on the sidelines and being unable to do their job something that gives them a lot of joy has affected them and how every like visit to the physio is and just like oh what is my future going to look like mm-hmm. and it's just and especially if you think about foreign players right or like mm-hmm. young players who are just like in a foreign land with like not necessarily with family and then you get injured and you're just like all about by yourself i don't know it just it seemed really lonely to me I agree. If, if Johnny Evans, if you happen to be listening to this uh, on the slim chance, you know, we just want to say thank you, uh, you know, for being so candid and open and honest there and vulnerable with the international, you know, football community. Uh, this is a topic that we've talked about off air too. And I'm certainly passionate about it as well. You know, as someone who works in the mental health field, uh, it's so important that this message does get out, you know, that footballers or athletes in general are not, you know, they, they appear physically fit, you know, how could they have anything going wrong with them? But it does show a side, right? Where injury or, or some sort of setback and, and mental health can really suffer. And like you said, these guys are, you know, especially in these lower leagues, you know, they, they're trying to fight for another contract next year. Their families are being moved around. And someone like Johnny Williams, or sorry, Johnny Evans here, who was experiencing numerous injuries, uh, you know, that fear of, of going through another injury, another setback, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Like it was very, it was very sad to me. And of course, you also see that like a different side of that, or from the fan perspective, which Mm -hmm. you see like fans go to like games in day in and day out, like spending all their hard earned wages Mm -hmm. on this football club, only to be disappointed, and that also takes a psychological toll. Mm I don't know. It was, uh, yeah, it was very sad. It just, and you can see how happy they are, like, mm-hmm. when, even if it's not a win and it's a draw, just like the emotional highs, this I think, it. are more acute yeah. than any other sort of like relationship uh, we have to anything. Like, I mean, if I go to the grocery store and I don't find anything, I mean, sad, but I'm going to come back. But like, this relationship to this club, mm-hmm. Im- like immediately impacts your mood and how you go about your day. What like watching this series when people say, "Oh, it's just a sport. It's just a sport." I say, "Like watch this series or something like it. You'll just get a bit of a, a hopefully a, a glimpse of how you know football, what it can mean to a community, like you said, and how it, you know a, 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 a community that lives and breathes their local club. And, I'm, and there, there are there are millions or, or yeah, millions of supporters around the world who I'm sure experience this, but it really is more than a, a sport. It's not just a sport. Yeah, it's definitely, it was an identity to a lot of these fans. And exactly. All the laws felt like their own identity was just being profoundly affected. And I thought the series did a pretty good job of conveying that. Well, I mean, if you can have a pastor or a, a priest... Uh, I know, did enjoy that. That was funny. <laughs> right? he's, he's, he's praying for the club from the pulpit. There, I mean, that. if that doesn't show you that it's more than a sport, I don't know what does. I did enjoy it, though, mostly because I'm just like, hmm, if I was a priest, perhaps I could just, like, start doling shady messages across my congregation. <laughs> but I was just like, yeah, that's probably why I'm not a priest. <laughs> just, oh, my gosh, that's so funny. Amongst other reasons. <laughs> yeah. But it was absolutely delightful. And hopefully we'll have a more detailed chat on the mental health aspect they in do, the future. Yes. Uh, With that, uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with our sidelines chat. Welcome back to Football Asides. Uh, I'm still here with Dan and this is our sideline asides, uh, the segment on the show where we take a deep dive into nonsense questions. So to speak. <laughs> and uh, today we do what want is it to. today? Yeah. Yeah. Today we have two questions on deck. And the first question is uh, What is your favorite football related programming? Media, books, podcasts, radio show, television, just in theme with today's topic? Well, I know when we met Glow, I mean, we, we were discussing, you know, the, the podcasts that we like to listen to and whatnot and the programs and you know, what kind of, to get a, a bit of a bearing on the theme that we wanted for our own. And, and I, you've mentioned a few podcasts that you like to listen to, right? Uh, correct. Yeah. Tell me which, uh, which is your favorite? Um, so my favorite, uh, podcast that I would absolutely recommend to everyone, it's called The Offensive and it is, um, how to describe it? <laughs> Imagine if you got a peek behind the curtain, be- behind a fictional football club called Ashwood City and got to follow their time in English top division football. It is, of course, a fictional club and you get to see an inside 
into how the club executives and players will deal with a certain crisis, say like a young player being out in the town the first time they've scored a goal <laughs> or like new ownership taking over. It is absolutely, absolutely hilarious and it is my favorite um, football consumption for sure of the moment. <laughs> I do, And I do consume a lot of it, but it's just... It, it's wonderful. <laughs> this is the best way to put it. That's and it's, awesome. I do want to note it. It is explicit. Do not listen to it near children. <laughs> Good disclaimer there, yeah. Yeah, where are you on the football medias? What are you consuming? Yeah, so same as you. I, I do listen to a lot of podcasts, uh, especially that's kind of my, my main mode of, uh, of getting my, my fix, if you will. But I have come across a few great books. Um Got a bit of a theme going where every year on my birthday, my wife tends to buy me like a soccer or football related book. And there's one by a goalkeeper. His name is Lutz Pfannstiel. He's German. And he, it's it's fascinating. It's, it's a story all about his career, uh, moving from various clubs around the world. And just, just the, the story of a, of a, of a player whose passion and desire to, to play the beautiful game took him from country to country, continent to continent. And he was, you know, he was willing to, to make lots of sacrifices for his personal comfort in terms of where he wanted to live and where he wanted to play, but he just wanted to play the game. And so he, he went all over the world. I won't say much more, but if you're looking it up and it's on Amazon, it's called the unstoppable keeper and it's by uh, Lutz Pfannstiel and uh, definitely worth a read. Amazing. Yeah, I'll definitely be adding that to my list. I'm doing a big book order this week. Oh, so, no way. Okay, I'll have to share that yeah, with you. Yeah, I do absolutely love buying books. So, <laughs> I also run a book club, so <laughs> I'm I'm always excited to get like a new batch of supplies, <laughs> really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like my book fix, yeah. I mean, you, like, I don't think it's uh, letting the cat out of the bag. I mean, it's right on the front cover. Jailed for match fixing, played <laughs> pro on every continent, declared dead on the pitch. The, the incredible adventures of Lutz, Lutz van Stiel. <laughs> That's Those are some adventures. Kens have been declared dead recently. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Clickbait, maybe. Who knows? But yeah. And uh, so for our second question, uh, we did want to get a bit silly. And I was just been thinking, just my mind's been wandering <laughs> a lot of places. I need sports and other things to come back. <laughs> and I had just been recently discussing with some of my friends. I was just like, who do you think is the pettiest footballer we've seen re in recent times? <laughs> <laughs> I just, because these are questions that, you know, keep me up at night. I don't know, Dan, who do you think we have as a petty footballer generally and why? So I had to go with the legend himself. You know, he played for Sunderland. He played for Arsenal. I mean, he's played for numerous clubs. Nicholas Bentner. I mean, this guy, like he calls himself the Lord Bentner or whatever it was, right? And thought he was God's gift to the football community. Didn't at one time he say that he was basically going to be like the next best player in the world and he was going to win the Ballon d'Or or something like that? <laughs> That's a little tough, you know? <laughs> this Anyway, this guy, like, you know, credit to him. Obviously, he had the talent. And he, he played for Copenhagen. Then he went to Birmingham City. Um, oh, sorry, no, Copenhagen, then Rosenborg. And then he was uh, at Nottingham Forest. He was awesome for Wolfsburg. And that's when Arsenal picked him up, right? But he's played at some big clubs, you know, Juventus, then Sunderland, Birmingham, and now he's back at Copenhagen. But this guy, he's just, he still thinks that he's got it. Like, he 
he's he still thinks that he what is he now 31 years old and he still thinks he's gonna like prove the world that he's this amazing player i don't know he's a pretty petty fellow in my opinion lovely um so i think i love that you know he's got to be he he has to be his own number one cheerleader some might say <laughs> I, fair enough you know and i guess i can't knock him for that like i remember i had one coach he said you know you always got to back yourself right you play the highest level you can and back yourself you know fight your way into that starting 11 but i mean uh, it sounds like he has three nicholas betners backing him though <laughs> Just i know right oh my gosh like how many games did he play for us uh i have to look it up here and i'll let you know yeah, uh, in the meantime, I could, so I, I've been thinking this might be slightly inspired by recency bias, but I have to go for the one, the one and only Sergio Ramos. I, Sergio. <laughs> uh, to say, I've just never been more entertained by a human being, probably athlete in my entire life, the level. Um, I think the best uh, example that captures this, like, as you know, like uh, the Liverpool Madrid uh, oh gosh, uh, Champions League final. Uh, there's like uh, giant falls. Some might say intentional, but allegedly uh, with Mo Salah and Mo Salah has to be taken out, uh, taken off the field. And there has to be a substitution. Absolutely marks his elbow. Mm-hmm. His shoulder, I should say. And like he misses the Champions League final. He's really not properly fit for the 2018 World Cup. And then come the Ballon d'Or season. Right? <laughs> just oh like, my gosh. Uh, uh, Ramos is just uh, coming down from receiving his award. And he just like passes Mo Salah and just like pats him on the same shoulder, <laughs> I want to say. And I'm just like, mm, too soon. Maybe too soon. <laughs> oh my gosh. But he's got good hair glow, Sergio. He does have good hair. You know, that maybe does, maybe I mean, we need to sign him. Hey, should he be our next? We'll sign him contingent on grow your hair back out like you had it in the you know in, in the days of old. That that those long flowing goldy locks that he had. Hey, back when he was a right back for uh, for Real Madrid there. Yeah, oh maybe maybe that is the that's the stipulation. Sam- Samson and Delilah, yeah. Yeah, you just you you have to keep your hair. You this is it. it the part is in the hair. <laughs> oh my gosh! Full disclosure, I have to admit, you know, it's it's embarrassing, but I have taken his photograph to a barber on a few occasions and asked for a haircut, kind of like his, not the long flowy look, but just you know his more subdued. Uh, his more classic cut that he's got. I mean, going on he's right a now. good looking guy. You can't deny that. <laughs> he just he does have his grooming up to par. Just absolutely. <laughs> his you grooming. Can, that's, that's yeah, well said, yeah. I mean, now his on the pitch antics absolutely just questionable. But yes. his off the field look, you can't say you can't deny the man that he's a polarizing fellow. There's a few of those around, but he's definitely one of them. Yeah, he's definitely one of those. And yeah. Um, with that, I believe this brings us to the end of our podcast today. And we want to thank you all for listening. We would like would love to invite you to comment and engage with us and send us your feedback. Subscribe. We'll keep putting out more content every other week. And any final thoughts, any previous thoughts, please do let us know. We're on the social media at Football Asides on Instagram and Twitter and asides.football at gmail.com if you'd like to get to us via email, which is also linked on our Instagram account. Dan, anything else would you like to plug before we sign off? 
one yeah a couple last comments just like you said glow i want to thank everyone who who uh, chimed in on the survey there and if you're listening in and uh there's anything you want to comment on or you know any content that you wanted to correct that we might have got wrong you know full disclosure i am on this side of the pond so i hope i represented fcfc well please chime in uh the last thing i should note in episode one glow we we, we talked about conte and and Klopp and what vehicles they drove. And I didn't quite have that information, so I should just quickly throw it in here that uh, it is true. Conte still drives a Mini Cooper, and he bought it secondhand, and apparently he's still driving it. And uh, Klopp drives an Opel Insignia, which is about 18K. So we were just saying that maybe they're going to lead the way with buying more budget-friendly cars in this time of COVID and uh, reduced wages. So... I think that we should just scrap it and have them ride a bicycle. That sounds too luxurious that makes more for me. Sense just too. like a bicycle. Maybe just stop walking. <laughs> just no, none of this car situation. But in truth, yeah, we just we thank you for everyone for for listening and uh, stay safe out there. Please uh, hit us up on Instagram and Twitter and whatnot, and and uh, share this with your friends and family.